Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. Welcome to Inside the Hive. I am your host, Nick Bilton. This week's episode is brought to you by Groa, the maker of innovative faucet and showering products. It's spelled G-R-O-H-E, even though it is pronounced Groa. Renowned worldwide for their German innovation, their cosmopolitan style, and intuitive performance and sustainability, Grow products feel like they were designed just for you. You can turn up your entire shower experience with the Groa Smart Control. It's the latest in shower customization technology. Smart Control lets you manage up to three bath and shower functions with one seamless control. You can declutter your shower wall, elevate your shower experience at the same time. It's fully personalizable. Your shower becomes almost like an app on your phone. Uh, They have volume control, preset temperatures. It's really beautiful. Uh, It's entirely changed my shower experience. You can check them out at groa.us slash hive. That's G-R-O-H-E dot U-S slash hive. Once again, Grow a smart control at groa.us slash hive. So my guest this week is someone whose name you will know, and you will also know his nickname, The Mooch. That's right, Anthony Scaramucci, who was a member of the Donald Trump White House for a whopping 11 days. The media always says 10, but he will always correct you to say 11 days. We're going to have a very funny, uh, serious at times conversation about Trump, about the midterms, about how the Democrats can beat Trump, uh, and about what is behind Donald Trump's constant attack on the media. You're going to really enjoy this one. Listen through to the end. Uh, It's a fascinating, funny, scary, uh, and believe it or not, actually optimistic conversation. So I'm Anthony Scaramucci. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast, a.k.a. The Mooch. Uh, It's a pleasure to have you. You, uh, We're going to talk about as much stuff as we can. Anything you want to talk about. Uh, First of all, you have a book out. I have a book book out. I I titled it "The Blue Collar President." Do you really Mrs. believe that? Mrs. Mooch hates that title. She's a die in the die in the wool liberal. I tried to pick a title that everyone would either love or hate, so I went with "Blue Collar President." So the liberals hate the title because he's not a blue collar president. He's uh, born with a golden toilet seat under his ass, and so therefore, you know, he's got a gilded apartment and blah blah blah. But that wasn't the point of the book. The point of the book is I grew up in a blue collar neighborhood. And my buddies in that neighborhood love the guy. And my cousins who are clamming on Long they Island. They still love him? Love the guy. To love even, the guy. Do you love the guy still? Well, I, I love aspects of the guy. The stuff that I don't love about the guy, I am honest about, right? I mean, so I basically have told people the truth. I've, I've told people that the word sycophancy is much closer to the word selfishness and self-interest and survival than it is loyalty. Loyalty is honesty. If you and I are working together, I need I mean, I need you to tell me the truth. I mean I tell my I tell my staff, if you're telling me I'm tall and I'm right, we don't have a relationship. If you tell me I'm short and I'm wrong, now I know we're gonna build a, a nice relationship together. Dick Fold, who was a legendary guy, CEO of Lehman Brothers, uh-huh. company failed primarily because he was surrounded by sycophants. 
So I can be loyal but, okay, to the president. So, so, so isn't but the I can also call him out on stuff. Isn't the president surrounded by sycophants? Some of them, yeah, no question. All right. Jared's not, you know, Ivanka's not, but he doesn't listen. He's on missile lock. He has a certain missile lock to his personality. There's only one way to get him to listen. All right, I have a, I have a burning question you I was going to save to the end, but I'm going to ask you in the beginning. Go ahead. Who do you think wrote the NYT anonymous op-ed? Okay, so now that I have a PhD on these animals, in yeah. terms of, I mean, I got an 11-day PhD on yeah. how these animals work with each other. Yeah. So this is what happened. There's no senior guy that wrote that because they're too cowardly. They would never do that. So what they would do is they go to a junior guy tied into them and they'd say, okay, junior guy, you write this, I've got your back. And who do you think? And so, so that, so that, I think it's a collage of people. Wait, Probably, so you, you, know, so you know, don't so, think like John Kelly? Um, no, he's not. He's not stupid enough to write something like that. But he, he would never one do of his it. Chief of staff, maybe. Could could it be one of his acolytes? Very possible. John Kelly does not like the president. Okay, you think John Kelly likes the president? I don't know. I can't tell who likes I, the president I, and who doesn't I, like the I president. I speak all over the country. I say, raise your hand if you think John Kelly likes the president. You think I've had one hand go up? You didn't read what John Kelly said about the president in the fear book? Yes, but everyone has said something about the president, and yet they, they still they still stay, and they still say nice things about him well, in look, speeches. He's a complex and- guy. He's a complex guy. I, I like the president, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I like everything about the president. Would you go back and work no, with him if you could? Um, okay, so my wife is in the room here. Just come over here quickly, because he said he's unediting. <laughs> My wife, this is Mrs. Mooch. We're talking to you live from the Beverly Hills Hotel from our room. Hi, Mrs. Mooch. Mrs. Mooch, would I go back and work for the president? Well, Anthony always says no because he would never ask me. Well, so that's, that's like a caveat because that means but if, if, if he did ask if he him, he did might. Ask, if he did ask. I feel like he might, but he says he wouldn't. But would I you, think he would. would okay, so see, see, see. I would hate it with every fiber of my being. Well, that's one of the main reasons why I'm not going to do it, okay? All right, well, we just got that off of Jess. Okay. Here's my favorite person. Beaming in is Ryan Lizza, who we should either be sending him a bottle of champagne because he blew me out of the White House, or we should be banning him from uh, CNN. Do you really other. think that Steve Bannon can do what you said he could do? No. I mean, Steve, come on. It's probably the size of a white Tic Tac. I mean, that was like the <laughs> fake news award, okay? I mean, you know, listen, I told Trump, how did I not get the fake news award, okay? I mean, you know, you know, come on, he can't do that. All right. We got to remember something, though. Put it in context, okay? Because mm-hmm. the idiot that's on the TV that we're looking at right now, he's kissing my butt. He's saying, ho, ha, he, ho, ho, and he wants to do a profile of me in The New Yorker. I'm the new comms director. I'm like, I don't want to do a profile in The New Yorker. I don't need to do that. I'm here, I'm here to do a job. And then I was like, well, I'm not being as self-promotional as Steve Bannon. I'm not blanking my blank. And so what he did was he surgically cut it, and he tried to turn it into this big fanfare. It was a guy talking to another guy when, can like, I, can I know, that I trusted. And so what? I made a mistake trusting him. It cost me my job. I wrote about it in my book. He's very accountable for it. And moving on. So uh, that moment when that came, comes out, are you sitting in a room going, holy shit, what did I just do? No, or he are called you just like, me eh. to tell me that he was uh, everything I said. He had recorded, even though I didn't know he was recording. He said, no problem, it's a one-party state. I'm a very unethical journalist, and so I'm recording you without your knowledge. And I said, well, Ryan, why would you do that to a guy like me? We have a good relationship. Our parents know each other for 50 years. My father, Al Scaramucci, knows your dad, Frank Lizza, from Long Island Construction for 50 years. You do this to me, it will likely cost me my job. It was a colloquial, you know it was off the record. Well, you didn't say it was off the record. He's right. I didn't say, and by the way, Nick, this is off the record, just so you know, okay? I mean, this podcast is <laughs> I'm actually brought to you by- I'm actually California, we have to this, tell you this, we're recording. This podcast brought to you by Vanity Fair is off the record. Yeah. But no, I mean, come on. So yeah. 
You seem like a good dude. I happen to think of myself as a good dude. That is a very bad dude. You don't do that to people. Okay, so he did it. He got his 4 million views or whatever it was. He got his fanfare. And karma got him. He got fired from the New Yorker magazine. And he's in the bowels of the Society of Journalists. Now, most most people hate the guy. And that's fine. And But it cost me my job. But let me tell you something. It was a very big learning experience. Did so you- these animals would never... No senior guy that hates Trump would put that in writing. So one even, of the things, even, even anonymously. I totally agree. So one one of the things that you that you said that I did actually find really interesting, and I don't remember the quote specifically, but you said that you take the the slimiest, scummiest person on Wall Street. Yeah, I told Bill Cohen that one of your colleagues. And 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 Eagle Scout. Th- and they look like an Eagle Scout. What is Eagle, it? That, the vicar of morality in what Washington. What is it that they do the in the White House in Washington that you would just like chuckle? They're lowlifes. They're disingenuous. They're horrifically dishonest. So I don't like you. Hey, pal, I'm going to tell you. Hey, Nick, I don't like you. Here are the five reasons why. We may be able to improve our relationship, maybe not, but this is why I don't like you. Not those guys. Oh, golly gee, Nick, I love you. You're a great guy, Nick. Let me call Vanity Fair, the girl best love and hate Scaramucci. Hey, best, here's 15 things you can say about Scaramucci anonymously sourced from a senior White House official. That's what they do to each other. And that's just all day long. All day long. Do you know why they do it to each other? I was going to ask why. Because the stakes are so small. They're small. They're not making any money. They're miserable. They're primarily self-hating people. uh, And they're jealous people. And so, you know, they look around at other people and they compare themselves and they get upset. And so, so a guy like Priebus, he knew I had a close relationship with the president. We were both New Yorkers. We were very jocular with each other. I still talk to the president, talk to him on Sunday. We get along great. A guy like Priebus is going to get along with the president. He looks, he's like a rodent from like the, the Midwest. Okay, he, he, he looks and acts like a rodent from the Midwest. Okay, I mean, my nickname for the guy is Rancid Penis, right? I mean, this, he's like a disgusting, low life what of did, a human uh, being. What, so it's like, what did the like, president say on Sunday? What did you guys talk about? Oh, we talked about the Bill Maher show. He was critiquing my performance on the Bill Maher show. Did you see the Bill Maher show? I, I did see parts of it, yes. Yeah, what, no, what, it he, just, he didn't like what you said about him being a liar? No, no, or he loved it. He was like, you're the only guy that gets it. I was trying to say that he does these embellishments and he does, let's call them lies so we can get good clickbait. Well, they, they, do. they are. Come on. They are. I'm not, did, yeah, I, yeah. did I walk it back? I'm just saying, like, I was on CNN and the guy said, oh, Aunt Scaramucci says that Trump is a liar. Okay, well, well hold on a second. He's saying mistruths. So what do you call mistruths? They're lies. Okay. Ann Coulter's lighting me up. This person's like, he doesn't lie. He tells puffery. No, no, no. He's lying. Why though is he lying? That was the point that I was trying to make. He's lying because he's a Molotov cocktail artist. He's a verbal Molotov cocktail artist. He's figured out that the liberal media and the Democrats will be like hall monitors. They'll be like uh, the teacher in Charlie Brown. And they'll like they'll like look at him and say, "Oh, he lied for the six thousand four hundred and seventy for third time." While they're doing that, they're not focused on their agenda. You know what the republic the best thing the Republicans got going for them right now? What? We're seven six days from the election. Six seven days from the, what's the best thing they got going for them? The Democrats. That's the best thing they got going for them. They're disparate. They're fractious. They're lurching to the left. They're angry. They're emotionally charged because of the president. And so, like he said to me, you know, how do you get it? How were you able to figure it out? I said, dude, I read nine of your books before I wrote my book. I know exactly what you're doing. Why can't they figure it out? 
I said, I don't know. They're too busy with the, all the sanctimony and all the righteousness. So w- call out the lie. I got no problem with that. But why don't you focus on blue-collar people, the base that you left, you created a 30-, 40-year vacuum. And if you don't believe me, just look at the polling in 2016. If there wasn't a vacuum, Nick, they would have voted for Secretary Clinton. He beat the pants off these people in the states that they were supposed to win. Do you think that he cares about the repercussions of his actions? You know, when he, for example, just this last week, you know, I've been to Trump rallies. They are full of anger and hatred and he stokes it because he likes it. He likes the attention. And nope. and and you see what happened in Pittsburgh with the shooting. You see the MAGA bomber. You, you see think the, that those are his fault, the bombing and the uh, shooting I think, are his I think fault? I think that, no, I think that, um, uh, I think that the, the problem is is that you have a disenfranchised group of people in this country and they are constantly looking for things to be a part of. And one of the things that Trump has figured out is how to make them a part of his agenda. I don't think he cares what that agenda is it just is it's about trump okay all right so i, mean, so the, so I, I, I see a little differently yeah i mean that's okay, what yeah, makes yeah, america yeah, yeah, yeah. okay that's why my wife's podcast with me is successful i get hit with a chainsaw for 35 minutes every tuesday but here's what i would say to you that uh he looks at it uh from a results orientation he looks at it he was very telling in the Leslie Stahl interview a few weeks ago where he said, well, it doesn't matter. We won, they lost. Remember him saying that to Leslie Stahl? Yep. So he's a results-oriented guy. He views the onslaught against him, whether it's justified or not, he views it to be very unfair. He would cite the Harvard study if he was on your podcast. He'd say 92% of these people are very violently biased against me, and I have to punch back. I have to fight back. If I don't fight back, I'm going to become George W. Bush. 2006, he loses the midterms, he stops fighting back, he retreats to Camp David, and he goes down in the drain. And so Trump's attitude, President Trump's attitude is, I'm going to fight back. You're saying it's all about him. Some people will think that. It certainly is attractive. Do you think think it's all about him? I think it's about him, plus Do you think he really gives a shit about the country? Yeah, no question he gives a shit about the country. Really? Yeah. Truly believe that? I truly believe that I work with the guy. Yeah, but, okay, but, but everything he does is about is, is about Trump. It's not true. I've been in situations. See, here's the thing: the media will because paint it a certain way. I've been in situations with him, uh, whether it's in the Roosevelt Room, in the den off the Oval Office, in the Oval Office itself, where real decisions need to be made, off-camera decisions, uh, and I have found him to be sober. I have found her to be temperate, and I can also remember one time, it was a mission-critical decision. I can't really divulge it because it's a classified situation, and but I will tell you what he said to me. Uh, he made the decision, and the people left that he was talking to about what the decision was going to be, and he looked over at me, and he said, and they're, and they're calling me the warmonger. I said, no, Mr. President, that was a very sober, temperate decision, and and you know, people don't hear that about him. They, I'm sure there's people on your podcast right now pulling their hair out. They want to hate his guts, and they want to hate him entirely, and that, that's fine. But we have to move off of the politics of personal destruction and the politics of demonization. You know, um, you can't tell me that you know if you hate me, okay, every single aspect of me is horrific. I don't, I'm sorry, it's not the, not the case, and it's not the case with him. So, so yes, he's well intended. He's trying to do a good job. Uh, I think he gets distracted by the bombs that come in. I think he counterpunches too hard. I think he could soften up his rhetoric. I don't think you need to be 
declaring war on the media. I think that's a terrible mistake. I think that's a 7 to 10% headwind to his polling numbers. The war declaration on the media, the bellicosity of that rhetoric, um, he could tone that down, he could keep his base, and he could open up the minds of people to what he's doing. I just want to make one last point before you ask a question. I take your listeners back three or four weeks to the Kavanaugh situation. The entire media spotlight is on the justice, Justice Kavanaugh, Mm. off of President Trump, off of Russia, off of everyone hating him and all that nonsense. And lo and behold, his poll numbers floated up from 42 to 47%, not making these numbers up. Just go to the Wall Street Journal, NBC News poll, which was released last Sunday. His poll numbers went up. Because people were off focus on him, and they were focused on what's going on in the economy, which then, is actually a very vital economy. You're completely correct. But then, right after that, his mm-hmm. poll numbers started to fall again, back down to 42. This week, they're at 40. And that is because a lot of people think that the way the Justice Kavanaugh uh, mess was handled was completely unfair. And I think that unfair to who? Unfair to Justice Kavanaugh? Or unfair, unfair to, to Ford? Uh, uh, Did Ford? Did you believe Blasey Ford? Ford? Um, you know, so I listened, listen, I had the, uh, I had the opportunity to listen to her entire testimony. I was actually in Dubai. I was waiting for a plane. And so I was in my hotel room waiting for the limo to take me over to the plane. And I listened to her whole testimony. And then I listened to his follow-up testimony. I thought she gave very compelling testimony. I don't, I don't disagree with her. I don't think she was telling a lie. However, Okay, I, it's not clear to me it was him. Now, you may say without a, beyond a reasonable doubt, you think it was him. I'm just asking you, is that politically charged because you don't want him to be part of the Supreme Court? Or are you looking at the due process in our system and you are saying, okay, he, he, he is beyond the reasonable doubt guilty because they couldn't get evidence corroborated from the people that she said was in the room. Well, she couldn't remember how but, she got but, but there. But the she Trump administration didn't allow the FBI to actually do the investigation. So, okay. okay, that's... And here's my other that thing. That may be true, but <clears throat> there were signed affidavits from people that said that they didn't... Know her. But but you asked me a question. I want to answer it yeah. honestly. I, I totally believed her. You're asking me the second question, was it him? Okay, it may have been him. I'm not saying that it wasn't him, but boy, are Would you going to take you a 36-year career of this guy's and you're going to throw it in the toilet. I mean, if we're that, if we're if we're going to do that to each other in the society, I'm dead. Like, I'm one micro aggression, and I'm one malaprop or one misspoken sentence from being dead. Because, but you're not you're the, not a Supreme Court justice. I'm not, but I mean, and you're not you, trying to be a Supreme I'm, Court justice. Well, maybe I'll try to do that next time. <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying to you, like, we are now in the professional capital punishment business. Look, here's society. where I will agree with you. I will 1000% agree with you that the left is is equally if not more pathetic than the right at this point. They as, as uh, somebody who was on this podcast before once said that they eat their own. You could be, you know, a an African American lesbian uh, who you know volunteers twenty four hours a week, and you make like one Jew joke, and and you're and they come That's after it. you, That's and it. it's like you're erased and, from and, race from history. And I think it's it the, they don't realize that that everything has to be so PC that you're not allowed to actually say anything so, anymore. And the, the, what they don't realize Trump is a representation of that. By completely, the way. Trump Trump completely. is a revolt against that. So we've had yes. five thousand five hundred years of recorded human interaction. This is before cavemen were pulling people's hair and hitting them with clubs and driving them into the cave. But we've had 5,500 years of human interaction. It's coarse. It can be rough. It can be tribal. 
Uh, it can be ethnic. It can be condescending. It could be ribald. But now we have been told by the politically correct police, the PC people, no, 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 can't say that. You can't say this. No microaggressions. Everything has to be sanitized. So what, what the PC people want us to do is they want us to disconnect our brain from our tongue. Or they want to put a PC filter into my jaw so when the thought is coming down from my brain, it gets filtered here before it releases from my tongue. Am I allowed to say curse words on this podcast? You can say whatever the fuck that, you want. Okay, that is an absolute bunch of bullshit. Okay, you know that. I know that. The college kids know that. I mean, you're looking at a millennial hero. Okay, it probably sounds self-serving, but let me tell you, these kids, I said the word fuck, cock, suck, and shit. I said those four words. You're laughing and giggling, but they loved it. No, I'm just it. laughing because no, I know. They loved it. Okay, so they, they, they went around and said, okay, the Barstool Sports guys are like, okay, he's the sportsman of the year. Even Tom Brady could throw seven touchdowns next year's Super Bowl. doesn't matter. Mooch got fired in July. He's the sportsman of the year. Why? Because they're so tired of the political correct sanitization that they've had enough of it. I agree. However, I mean, on, guys, the response it to it, cut the alt-right Charlottesville, the racism, the I mean, I you've have you you've been to a Trump rally? You've, you've been 26, to 26 went to 26 Trump rallies. I went to two Bernie Sanders rallies. And I found the Trump rallies to be a little different from you and I'm not sanitizing them. I'm not saying that there weren't some angry people there and there weren't pockets of angry people. But I saw more economic desperation there, Nick, than I saw anything else. I saw people, when I stepped into the crowd and I walked in to say, hey, Nick, how are you? Sorry to bother you. I know you're here. How long did you wait to get in? Two hours. Wow. Why are you here? The composite response to that was, well, I lost my job. I've been, the factory got shut down, blah, blah. Uh, it's funny. Your you, wife Your wife is shaking her head over there. Uh, um, what are you shaking? Before he won. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to be totally insane now. And people are just I, I've, I, I mean, I've, I've been to those rallies. And, I've been and to the ones after he won. They're terrifying. I, I, I mean, they're honestly like you've been I, to the ones after he won. I went, I was, I went undercover for for a story I was working on, uh, and I had a Trump okay, T-shirt on a, and a MAGA hat. I want that to and, stop. I don't like that. It was. Like if someone had found out I was a journalist, I may not. I feel like I might not have made it out okay, alive. Okay. Like it was, it was okay, terrifying. So, so, so I don't like that. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not endorsing that. But there's I'm not two, a three of them of a day now, and then each one. Okay, here's a question for you. Going back to okay, this let question. Me, let me. Can I just say something yes, to you? Because yeah. you got liberals that love you. They love you. Just whether your hair is done. <laughs> I know that these liberals like love your ass. So let me just say something to your liberal friends out there. You want to beat the guy, then you got to change your uh, game plan. You have to focus on these people. If these pe- if, if they're responding to the president and they're angry and he's he's throwing uh, gasoline or kerosene on their anger, then you have to come back to those people. You say, hey, excuse me, uh, uh, 35 years we've ignored you. And we're really sorry we did that because Franklin Roosevelt didn't ignore you and uh, Lyndon Johnson didn't ignore you and John Kennedy didn't ignore you, but we did. And so we're like, we're sort of sorry about that. And so what we'd like to do is stop ignoring you. So why don't you dial back your anger and here are policies that we can use that are going to be smart policies for you. And then you got a shot to beat him. If you don't do that, then you got no shot. He'll win 400 electoral votes. That was my point to uh, Bill Moore. Do you, okay. Make but, it a fair fight. Why don't you bring okay, him, so when, bring him so to he, a different level as a politician? Right now he's in the mud. 
I can tell you right now, you cannot beat him in the mud. He is the guru. Do you not think like someone like a Michael Levante can beat him in the mud? Avenatti? Avenatti, sorry. Well, I, I've, I look. I like Michael. I, you know, I'm one of these guys where Michael, like saying, Michael like Avenatti to who, me is like I'm. De- Derek Jeter and David Ortiz can get along. They're yeah. playing on different teams. Yeah, I like Michael. Okay, I have no problem with Michael. Michael's coming to my book party here at the Beverly Hills Hotel tonight. I like Michael, but I can tell you what I told Michael: you fight the president on his playing field because you think you're a tough Italian kid from the Midwest, from St. Louis, Missouri, and you're a street fighter. You're going to fight him on his playing field. He's going to beat you. You can't fight him on his playing field. So how do you how do you so, beat him? So the only way that you can make it an even race is you, you have to do something transcendental that he's not going to expect. What? Um, you have to go to his base and you have to appeal to his base with a message that's different than his base. But if you're a Democrat who yeah. is so in other words, pro-life, him calling him, is, saying, sorry, that has, choice. Say, saying that he has small hands or you know he's going to call you. Let me tell you something. You're running against the president. You're going to... Are you going to have an internationally known nickname for the rest of your life? Okay, let him ask you. All right, so here's the question. So so it's a a two-part question. Okay, honey, I'm letting him ask the question. Go ahead. Uh, Um... Uh, he is the guest, so it's it's all it's all. My good, wife just said I'm having much. a conversation. My wife just said I'm having a conversation with myself. <laughs> We're back on Mooch is the Mooch and the Misses. It's not Nick's podcast it's anymore. The Inside the Hive podcast okay, has, okay. Been, has been changed. Uh, go ahead. The Mooch and okay, the Misses podcast. You ask the question. Go ahead. I could you you could actually come over here and start <laughs> asking, and I'll come back and I'll go get some coffee, some no, fancy no, LA water, go some food. Um, uh, okay, so. There's this guy, uh, Daniel Dale, he's a star, uh, Toronto Star reporter, and he, mm-hmm. he's been following the president for two years um, at every rally, uh, during every interview, and he's brilliant. you got to follow him on Twitter. I think okay. he's like DDale8 or something like that on Twitter. Okay. He's really, really amazing at what he does, mm-hmm. and he fact-checks everything the president says. And one of the things that he does that is so fascinating is if he goes to like five or six rallies – Right in a in a week, what he does is he points out that that how the president's lies are transforming over time. So, for example, you know the president will be like, "There, there were five thousand people waiting outside today." Meanwhile, there were like two thousand people to right. getting in. And then at the next rally, a few hours later, he'll be like, "There were fifteen thousand people waiting to get into the last rally." And by the end of the week, there was a hundred thousand people in line. But he does this with not just the people trying to get into yeah. his rallies. He does this with with facts about. Yeah. About healthcare, about Justice immigration, Kavanaugh, blah blah blah, blah blah blah, all these things. Right, and I don't like. I don't understand how the. You say you can't lay down with him. You can't get in the pit with him. How do you respond? You. How do you respond to that when there are so many? And I'm going to use the word lies because they are lies. He's fully aware of these lies. How do you, as a Democrat, how does someone respond to that? So okay, so let me flip it back to you. Uh, Calling out his lies. Do you feel that that's been a successful strategy for the Democrats? Let's say I've got the bully pole, but I've got this microphone, and I'm Morning Joe, I'm Mika and Joe Brzezinski, and I've got a three-hour show, and I spend two hours and 58 minutes calling out his lies. Is that a successful strategy? Is that, going, is that helping them? Is that going into the ether? Is it working? You're, I'm asking you a question now. Is it working? It, I think it is not working to 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 convert his base, but it is working to maintain the fact that the 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 opposite base is aware of the fact that he is continually lying. Okay, is he going to win re-election? 
I think he'll win re-election okay. without so, question. Okay. Because, and okay. I'll tell you why. Because okay. I think the Democrats so are Bill so Moore fucking stupid. Okay, they're so that. stupid. They don't know what the hell they're doing. Everyone from Kamala Harris. I know. I agree I with you. You said that the best thing the Republicans have going for them are yes, the Democrats. Yes, the Democrats. Okay, yeah. But I'm however, the, however the, 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 the other part of that is that um, before Trump ran, the Republicans were in the same spot. And so the que- I, the question I have for you is like if you let's just say that you took over the DNC yeah and they said all right who are we going to put up there that can beat Trump well I mean you you would need somebody more like a Michael Avenatti and less like a Senator Warren I mean you would need somebody that could uh, engage him in a multilateral way you're not going to beat beat him with high. Um, I'm for transgender bathrooms. A dolphin got killed by a plastic straw, so now we have paper straws, and an ice cube is melting at the North Pole. And so I want to beat Trump. That's not going to work, okay? I'm just letting you know because the people look at that and say, okay, we had enough of that. That doesn't work for us. Uh, The reason why he's president is that he's the avatar of political incorrectness, and he's the avatar of unsanitized language. So we've had enough of that. It's a repercussion of what happened okay or a reversion so so the way i would go at it and again you know he's probably be mad at me listen to your podcast he probably doesn't want me to give up a playbook but the way i would go at it is i would say okay listen we need somebody's tough that can stay in the box with him and fight him when he's getting nicknamed and or she's getting nicknamed and um, belittled uh, but can be transcendental that can move the conversation away from the totems of emotion but without being overly policy wonkish get it up here i'm moving my hands higher to a higher level where i say nick these people have had declining wages for 35 years the president's out there talking to them but here's the solution here's a 5 10 15 year solution to get their wages up and by the way ladies and gentlemen it's not going to happen in an election cycle but it could happen over five or 10 or 15 years. And let me put in place the program and the strategy to help you and your family. Stop listening to this typical nonsense. That would work, Nick. Okay. Telling, because people are ready for that. You know, you know how they're done with political correctness? Mm-hmm. They're also done with the bombast. People are burning out from the bombast. I'm, I'm not comparing the two, so please don't put up a, a thing Trump is compared to McCarthy. I'm not doing that. I'm stating it publicly. Okay, please be honest and fair with me. What I am saying is that I studied McCarthyism. McCarthyism was an afterglow flame of the anxiety post-World War and an anxiety related to communism because they were descending and encroaching upon Europe. And our leadership told the Americans, hey, you better spend money on the Marshall Plan. You better uneven these trade deals to protect Western Europe. Otherwise, those commies are coming into Western Europe. And by the way, they're coming for you and they're coming for your family. And so we had this un-American committee in the Senate. McCarthy was a champion of it. And he was a red-baiting anti-communist, been putting people on blacklists. And he was causing this unbelievable amount of hysteria and this unbelievable amount of uh, fervor. And then, lo and behold, it died off. And what happened? Collectively, the 160 million Americans that were in the country at that time just said, no mas, I can't take it anymore. That's going to happen here. Do you There's think no, that's what's going to happen? You can't, you, okay, can't, but I, you can't stay at this frequency level and this level of intensity and this level of heat. You think you're going to do that for another two years I, or six years? It's not going to happen. So, so, But the president's smart guy. He'll figure out that what he's doing right now, which got him into the presidency, he'll start adapting it if it's not working for him anymore. So you 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 don't know the beast. Okay, but so here's, so, so here's guy. So one I, thing I told the president on Sunday, I said you're in everybody's melon. He said yeah, you're right. You're I mean, in what? 
I said, you're in everybody's melon. I know how you work. I know how you operate. You, you, he, he goes into your ear. And he, he puts a little smart bomb in there, and he blows your brain up. Oh, it's, yeah, it's He tells insane. you to go get a DNA test, and you go do it. I mean, that's pretty stupid. Okay, but I mean, he can't No, I, do thought, I agree people with you. That was so people stupid. can't help themselves. Yeah. Okay, so I, I, I think you're completely right when you talk about McCarthyism and so on and so forth. But let's just you, – you, uh, you've been on Wall Street. You under, understand the economy better than most people out there. One of the things that we are about to reach is a point where jobs are going to continue to be eaten by technology, right? We're going to have automation. We're going to have uh, so many different things that will happen in a from driverless AI, trucks to artificial intelligence, auto- automation, automation, all these different things. Right. And jobs are going to go away, right? Dro- and drone delivery. Yeah, drone delivery. You're going to have lawyers that will be out of jobs because there'll be there'll be machine learning that can write legal press releases. There'll be all these different things, and um, 10.5 million truckers. All these different things that are going to happen, and what Trump is doing is, uh, you know, where my my dad actually says, "Oh, there's some things that he's doing that are good," and he talks about the economy. And my my argument is he's putting a bandaid on the economy. He's not actually doing something that's going to have long term gains because all the jobs that he may be bringing back and all those tax, all the tax cuts and everything that are helping corporate corporations and wealth and so on. Are going to? They're just eventually going to go away. Okay, can I respond? Yeah, yeah. yeah of course. So that's not necessarily a specific. In- Wait, let me just finish. That there's one thing. And when you go back, and I'm not comparing him to Hitler, uh, although I would like to. Uh, but when you go back to the 1940s, one of the things, the rise of fascism was a result of the fact that there was the economy in Germany was in the toilet. And they were trying to come up with a solution that mm-hmm. would make family values important, that would get everyone a job, and so on and so forth. And look where it got us. And my biggest fear is not necessarily the bombast of Trump, but it's the fact that we are, as a country, heading to a place where you can look at any different report. There's dozens and dozens of reports out there from, from Accenture to the, to, to the bomb White House to whatever, where anywhere between 30 to 70 million jobs vanish in like a 10, 15-year period. Mm-hmm. And he's not doing anything to stop that. And the results of that are going to so, start to incur in his presidency. Okay, so so I want to respond. I think that that is an indictment of him, a correct indictment of him. But I also think it's a correct indictment of the bipartisan public servants that live in Washington and possibly even in the state and local governments. Because at the end of the day, what's happened here is we're battling it out every day on cable news or on podcasts or we're battling it out in a campaign or a debate, and we are emotionally charged. If I took you back to the 1960 debates, Nixon versus Kennedy, they were steeped in policy and they were steeped in wonkishness. And the voters, frankly, were way more informed than they are today. Yep. If I take you fast forward to 2016, the debates are emotionally charged. They're name-calling. They're, I'm going to say this totem to appeal to my base. You're going to say that totem. And nobody's really focused on what the real systemic problem is. And so I, I'm going to ask you this rhetorically. Ever met a politician or a public servant that said, I have a 25-year plan for America, that I have a 25-year plan for education, I have a 25-year plan for job training and job displacement that's going to come from the wave of automation that you're describing? Uh, our educational system is uneven. We have to fix it. Our infrastructure is crumbling. We have to fix it. We have to figure out what to do with the entitlements. There is a solution, but it's going to be a little painful, but we can make it happen. We have to figure out how to right-size the deficits. By the way, we have a 25-year plan that can 
restage and prepare America and its citizens for the 21st and 22nd century. Any politicians doing that? No, and Trump's okay, not either. No, well, exactly. No, no, I'm indicting all of them. Trump's not doing that. Paul Ryan's not doing that. Nancy Pelosi's not doing that. Chuck Schumer's not doing that. Mitch McConnell's not doing that. You pick the politician. They're not doing that because the way to stay in power is to get the indifference as high as possible from normal people. Um, the driver that took us to our podcast today here in L.A., doesn't vote. He's channeled out, tuned off politics. My son, 26 years old, first year student at Stanford Business School, arguably a very smart kid. Dad, I don't want anything to do with politics. That is a winning strategy for these loons that are in office. Their job is to make it so painful for people that they tune themselves out and then they have the fat tails vote them perpetually into office with no solutions for anybody, but they're carrying a lot of power and swag and they've got their lobbyists and they've got their other things going on. So one last quick point. You've got 535 people in the Congress. You have 100 people in the Senate, right? House of Representatives, Senate, that's 535 people. You have one president, that's 536 people, control $4 trillion of a federal budget. That's 22.5% of our GDP. So the U.S. has a $17 trillion GDP. You have 536 people that are controlling 22.5% of it. Is there any wonder why $10 billion a year is spent in the swamp lobbying those people? I mean, this is an absolutely disgusting system that is totally wrong. So when if you want to blame it all on Trump, no, you no, can. No, He's not, only been not, there for I'm two not, years. I don't want to blame it all on I'm Trump. I, I do blame the whole system. system but, our entire but, system is stank. But when you get on the phone with him to talk system. about the ratings of, of Bill Maher, isn't that the thing that you want to talk to him about? Um, well, no, I've had a conversation with him along do you think the lines he cares? of what saying. Uh, he cares, but he's fighting from a corner. He said something to me on Sunday that I've been thinking about since Sunday. He says, you know, you didn't realize when you were here, I know you got blown out quickly, but you didn't realize when you were here the hatred. Did you realize how bad it was? Did you realize how much hatred there was going to be? But wait a second. Come on. I said, no, I didn't, He's, sir. I didn't the, realize. Have you seen the thing? Like, the, he is full of more hatred than any president he's, I've ever seen. He's the punchback king. He's fighting back. They're fighting back. By the way, I've said this to him. I've said it on the national airways, and I'll say it on your podcast. He's the president. You're not. He's president. You're not. He should dial back first. Good leadership requires a de-escalation of the current tension in the system. I have said, you've had to have read this. Well, I'm sure you might have because you invited me on your podcast. I said that the war declaration on the media does not work. You had to have read that yeah, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I've also said that I only did three things inside the White House. I turned the lights and cameras back on because I believe in the First Amendment. We made Sarah the press secretary, so her father half loves me, half hates me for that. And uh, I hired a hair and makeup artist for myself. I thought I needed it. I mean, everybody needs hair and makeup. You Do you know, regret making friend. Sarah the, the press secretary? Well, maybe she regrets it, but I thought she would do a great job. I think, do you she's, think she's very doing a great job. Uh, well, I think in the Trump administration, on, that is a one that that's is a not, one year job. Yeah, but okay. But I think it's hard for her. The question: Do you think that she's doing a good job? The best that she can do. That's not me spinning. I think she's the best that she can do. I think she's probably burnt out, and she's probably frustrated, and she's probably being. When she let me goes finish. Out? She's probably being accused of being a liar. She is. When a lot of the stuff that's being told to her. Uh, she's 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 reformatted herself now. She's been probably told things that she thought was truthful that have turned out to be factually inaccurate. I think that's more of the truth than her actually getting to the podium being a liar. The thing that, that frustrates me most about Sarah is that 
I see her up there sometimes, and she gets she's, emotional she's, and she cares. Yeah, she seems like she's she a good cares. Person. But she comes Toughest out there. Toughest job in the world. She comes out there. I'm going to make you press it. You're going to fix your hair. Okay, let me, I'll fix my so hair. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back and be the comms director. <laughs> and I'm going to make you the press secretary. I'm going to fix your hair. <laughs> Mrs. Mooch is uh, is telling him to let me be uh, press secretary. I mean, to let me answer the question again. Uh, do, I do think that I think that she has a tough job, but I also think that there's there you have to have some integrity and say what you believe in. And when I, I have to say one of the toughest things that I mm-hmm. experienced in this country over the past year and a half, two years was the separating kids at the border. That was a disgusting practice. <clears throat> it was disgusting. You're aware that I broke immediately yes. on that, right? Yeah, yeah, I of went course. on national television and explained why that had to stop. And, and I cannot believe that there were not more people within that, Okay, well, I just told you. I mean, the definition of loyalty to me is honesty. It's not sycophancy. That's sycophants are self-interested. Sycophants are self-survivalists. They're courtiers in the court. Why do you think I, Trump- I, I broke because I thought it was ridiculous. It's a terrible strategy. Why do you think that Trump hates immigrants so much? Yeah, he 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 doesn't hate immigrants. So that's the you know fallacy. But I understand how people style it that way. What he doesn't like is he doesn't like illegal immigrants he's looking at our border and he's examining the other 200 countries and he's saying we're the only ones that have allowed 10 12 15 illegal immigrants into the country and so what he's basically saying is what milton friedman would say the nobel prize winning economist is if you're going to have a welfare state which the united states does you have to protect the border because if you don't free market forces dictate that people will come across the border and participate in your welfare state. And so you can like the president or dislike the president for this, but he is about legal immigration. So they don't want to characterize it well for him. That's fine. I've heard him say it hundreds of times. Millions and millions of people, they can pour into the country as long as they pour in legally. Uh, Those laws have been signed by Democratic presidents and Republican presidents, as well as passed by Democratic and Republican legislators. I don't understand why that's a big deal. Are you for illegal immigration? I'm not for illegal immigration, but I the, but the system is set up in a way where you know I know people who have come across the border and they go and they wait and they wait and they tell them no, you can't come through. No, you can't come through. And they come across the border illegally, or they try the to come legally. They try to come try through to the come process, okay. and the process I think is broken. Well, and so then, true. and process so then, some of them actually come across illegally. And yeah. And I had a moment where there was someone I knew during the actual immigration crisis that was going on, um, who's who hadn't seen his son in like 15 years, and th- I was there when the and when when the kid actually got mm-hmm. dropped off, and it was an incredibly emotional moment. And like what I think that people, what's so sad is that you have all these people who are, you know, Republicans and pro-Trump and pro-Paul Ryan and, and Mitch McConnell and everything who don't realize that these are family, the people. I'm sensitized to it. I, I am, you know, I said it. You can go back to my commentary on CNN, Fox. I've, I've said, hey, this is a failed strategy. You can't separate. I don't care what they're doing. Okay, the it's anti-American. It's against American values to separate a mom from her, their children. So I have been dead set against it. There are other people inside the president's administration that feel, well, that's a very big deterrent, and that'll stop people from coming You're across the border. talking about Stephen border. Miller? Well, I don't Do necessarily think he actually think John, has a heart. John Kelly, I would say, more than Stephen Miller. Oh, really? Remember, he was the head of the DHS. Yeah. So yeah, he's yeah. really more John Kelly. Um, I would say Stephen Miller is... Uh, a way better guy than he's being portrayed as. Really? I know Steve for a long time. You think I work he's a with good guy? Again. Yeah, I like Steve. 
But d- like, he have just, you met him? I've never met him. Okay, I, so here's I, what you should do. Make, make do me a favor yeah. because I've been lit up and destroyed by the American media. Yeah. Um, meet the people. And then after you meet the people, because like what happens is you're reading about somebody from your phone, totally agree. or from the, and all of a sudden you hate the person. Well, that's because some biased person wrote some nasty shit about the person, and now oh yeah, I hate the person because he's against my values, and this biased shithead just told me how bad the guy is, right? So to me, I always say to people like my friends told me not to do this podcast that you're a left winger and you're going to excoriate and destroy me on the podcast. And I was like, no problem. I'm going to do the podcast anyway. Now I'm looking at you. I mean, your hair's a little fucked up. You definitely need a haircut <laughs> and you probably need to trim your beard too. Cause it's I mean, cause it's cause we have bit kids like, or three and one year old. Like, okay, you're making a mistake. You got, I mean, it takes, even the way to, it takes a little while. Even, to, even the way I the totally hair agree. is coming you know out of the beard. I've been, like, I've been I'm looking at my clippers. I'm going to put it on Twitter. I mean, I've been looking at my, my, uh, uh, my clippers, my beard trimmers for like a week. And I keep saying, I'm going to do it. And then it's a sign of laziness on your part. I was up at four. 4 a.m. with a, a okay, vomiting me, three-year-old. Okay. It wasn't the fir- it wasn't okay, the top it wasn't top of mind to shave. I have sixty percent more kids than you. I'm taking a picture of you, <laughs> and I'm putting it up on Twitter. And I think this guy should shave his beard. Okay, what's your Twitter handle? At Nick Bilton. Okay, I think I think Nick should All right, shave well, his beard. While you're while okay, you're so, while you're uh, so, but but my point is, don't judge while people you're until you meet right the people. Me. I I totally don't I totally judge agree. the people till you meet the people. But Let, I agree on that. Let's do a let's do a little. We could be doing a lot better. Don't you think? Oh, I think we could be doing a lot better. Let's Dial do a, back to discourse. You, okay, okay. okay. Uh, let's do a little lightning round here. Yeah, lightning round. All right. Did uh, do you think Putin? Do you think Trump would be president if Putin hadn't have hacked our election? Yes. You do. Yeah. I, I mean, you don't he, think that he had any role? And what did you watch? Like Active Measures, and you bought into the whole thing, <laughs> or what, what happened? Is that what you did? Uh, um, all right. Um, I completely agree with you that the media is at fault here. I think. I it is I'm a part of the institution and the, and I'm part of the problem and I and I wish that it would change but do you actually think that there's anything that's ever going to happen that's going to change the media in this country? Yes. What? Um I think that consumer tastes are going to once again change. And so what ended up happening is the media was more vanilla because there's only three or four outlets and there was not that much fragmentation after the iPhone and the iPad and all that other stuff created the fragmentation. So the media had to go after eyeballs that like them. And so XYZ is designed to be for the left, XYZ is designed to be for the right, blah, blah. But I do think what will end up happening is people are burning out. I completely agree. I think agree. people are going to want to go back to something that's more in the middle. And the best media companies are going to start to provide more and more of that. Because what I know about investing, we talked about investing, I'm running a $12 billion fund. I tell my 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 people, you guys think we're in the investment business. I know we're in the fashion business. Okay, ETFs go in and out of favor. Bonds go in and out of favor. The stock market goes in and out of favor. And what's in favor right now is bellicose media fragmentation. But I think people are burning out from that, and I think it's going to mainstream again. That's my honest opinion. Maybe um, I got to put this thing up on Twitter. You're, gonna, because, you're tweeting as we're yeah, as yeah, we're potting. Yeah. We're we're so uh, we're like millennials. We're like a couple it's of millennials. Me, it's me it's and you, Anthony. This picture is unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, it's like a little horrifying <laughs> that you could be this un- ungroomed. I mean, you're like an ungroomed human being. I mean, I mean, it's fine. I mean, um, he's right. trying to use the alibi that it's his kids and stuff like that. But I'm sure that the, the um, grooming was like right, this you want to put your show. You want to put your phone down for two minutes? Good. Did you, did you, you, know, did you tweet it, it already? Put it out for us. It's important. All right. Uh, what's your uh, What's your daily ritual like? Do you, what, do you, what do you do? You wake up at like 3 a.m. and look at pictures of on Twitter and 
groom yourself? Like, what is no, it that I'm you do? I'm very well groomed. You are very well groomed. I was well told you to be very well groomed. Yeah, I'm very quaffed appropriately. Look, I, I no, but I'm I curious. Serious, what is five your five every morning? Yeah, I hit the shower if I'm lucky enough. I will go to the gym quickly, and then I go to work. And I'm on the phone, and um, I do a lot of marketing for my firm. We're bringing the salt conference back, which hopefully you'll come to. Bill Cohen has been there a lot. Bethany uh, McLean McLean has been there a lot. I mean, so we have a great conference, great thought leadership conference. We're set up to do podcasts there. We have all these like radio like. You know, station or like cubes, carols and stuff. You could do your podcast from there. Great, we'll have you killer, back on. Killer, I'll- killer guests, by the way. I mean, so you can get a whole list of guests. Just go to sawconference.com. But I'm also working on a new products. I'm working on my podcast with my wife because I think it's an interesting thing that she's a liberal and she calls herself normal. I'm not liberal. I'm normal. And I'm obviously a Trumpster. I have Cheeto. A Trumpster. A che- yeah, well, I have Cheeto on my hand. You know, what happens is you open up the bag of Cheetos and you put your hand in there and it's orange. It's not coming and, off. Yeah, and you put it in your Do you think fa- it can come off the Cheeto? It's a tattoo. It's no, no. The Trump Cheeto is a tattoo stain on you. It's a, you're, not, you're not getting it off. I'll do be, you sometimes look at it and wish I hadn't got that tattoo? No, I'm going to look at it like that's life. What are you going to do? I, I Did I think he was going to go this overboard? No. I didn't think he was going to go this overboard, but we're here now. What do you want me to do? All right. So important question. I have a couple of questions. Are you Nick Hilton or no, Nick, Nick Bilton? N i c k b i l t o n. I'm glad that you joined us on Inside the Hive with Nick Hilton. Yeah. Uh, no, no. I got, I got you, Nicky. <laughs> you wish you were Nick Hilton. You'd be a lot richer, and you probably would have a cleaner beard. Um, uh, if you, um, uh, if you could actually go back and do it over that those eleven days. Would you would you want to stick around and, and stay there and keep doing it, or was it are you like lucky that you got out? Um, well, I mean, listen, I'm not going to say that I don't regret the fact that I didn't have an opportunity to see if I could make more change, but I was able to patch things up with my wife, and I was able to get my wife back, who I love to death, and my children. I was able to get my business back, and so I felt a little bit like Jimmy Stewart in the car. It crashes in the bridge, and it's a wonderful life. He comes out. He's in this alternative universe, and he's like, oh, my God, could I get my life back, please? And I got it back. And so I'm sitting here talking to you uh, with an unbelievable amount of gratitude for my life, you know, and I have a much greater appreciation for it. You are um, – I mean, you were always in kind of the limelight, but now you're, like, really in the spotlight. You, yeah. you, you know, you're in magazines uh, and, the, like, the, the grocery store. You're on podcasts. You've got the, the book. You've got the TV, all this stuff. The, what, what's the president that? made me as famous as Melania and Ivanka, and didn't have to sleep with them or be his daughter. So thank you, Mr. President. Thank and you. What uh, What's the end goal with all that, though? I don't really even know. I think that, like, you know what? I was with Sarah Palin. Uh, I did Nick. Uh, babe, what's the name of the guy's show? Nick Hilton, right? Steve Hilton? Steve, Steve Hilton's Hilton, show. Yeah. I did a show on Saturday, Sunday night here yeah. in L.A., and I was with Governor Palin, and I was telling her what happened to me, and I was also telling her about my blue-collar upbringing and, like, where I am today. And she's like, listen, you know, maybe there was a, a reason for this stuff to happen. Maybe you could be an important voice in trying to connect people back together and building a bridge. You know, and so, you know, I went to a radio show out here in L.A. They were asking me political punditry questions. They saw Deirdre come in. They were like, geez, I thought you got divorced because bad news travels 20 times faster than good news. I said, no, Deirdre and I are together. We're trying to patch it up. And they're like, oh, we'd rather have her on the radio. They brought, bring her on the radio. We do the show together. And we now have a podcast, and we have a podcast where there's one very liberal, and I'm obviously more conservative, although I'm very liberal socially. I want to point that out to your friends here. I am a gay rights advocate. I've been for 15 years, 
And I was actually, Rob Reiner and I worked on the Prop 8 thing together uh, to get it to the Supreme Court. So I'm way less, quote unquote, conservative than people think. And I think I'm sort of a mainstream person in America, despite the Cheeto stand on my hand, hand. And so for me, I want to be out there, tell people what I like about the president, what I think he's doing well. And I want to be supportive of him because I like him. And I think he's well-intended, as I described. But the flip side is I also want to see if we can dial the rough rhetoric down and get people to recognize that we're Americans first, uh, we're patriots first, we're partisans second. Can we dial it down, please, and learn to love and respect each other a little bit better? And so if I can have a piece of that, if I can have a voice in that, and then all of this stuff will have been worth it. And but it was very painful, Nick, going through a lot of it, to be honest. I wrote about it in my book. I, yeah, mean, I got my living ass kicked. I got roasted. <clears throat> One chapter in my book is the 12th day. How do you pick yourself up after you've been put in the media meat grinder? How do you shake yourself off, get up in the morning, and get back at it? And I had to do that, and I explained it in my book. Hopefully someone will read it and find it to be inspirational. I'm sure a lot of people still listening to us talking and now at replying you and me on Twitter that I yep. need to shave or we'll, we'll yep. definitely be reading it. Um, uh, last quick question. Um, you said before that you spoke to Trump on Sunday and you said he's like a melon that like explodes in your head and you get stuck there. Yep. And yeah, He's a melon splitter. <clears throat> um, do you, what's, how much do you think is healthy to actually pay attention to all this stuff? Like, is there, I think it's unhealthy. Do you, so, but, but don't I think it's going to burn you, people out. I but you have to pay attention because it's important. But then yes. how much do you pay attention? Yeah. So this is my point. This is like, again, I'm not comparing the McCarthyism to what's going on today other than the furor and the ferocity of the situation. And then all of a sudden, psh, it burnt out. And people are like, look, I'm done. I'm sorry. You're a commie. I actually don't care that you're a commie. I'm moving on with my life. And so we're getting to the point where that's going to happen. And by the way, every television show, other than Meet the Press, okay, uh, has a change in programming or gets canceled, right? I mean, MASH, All in the Family, Friends, Seinfeld. If this is television programming, and let's say it's even reality television programming, at some point, People are going to tune out of the programming. They're not going to take it anymore. Yes, but we The Simpsons is now in their like 28th year. They're cartoons though, bro. <laughs> They're cartoons. You follow what I'm saying? And, maybe, and you know, you are perpetually seven and so am I. And so that's why they can stay on the air. They're cartoons. This is not cartoons. This is, this is real life, smash mouth, shock jock stuff going on now. And, and that you, will wear so out. So, you're, so you sound actually quite optimistic that this will all end well. No question. You don't worry about here's, your kids' futures? I, I do because of bad policy. I don't worry about the, their future because of the nonsense going on right now. I worry about their future because of what I just said. We have to get people to wake up in the country. The Chinese have a 50-year and a 100-year plan. We have a two-minute plan. Okay, And I'm not saying that we need to compete with the Chinese. I think we just need to compete with ourselves. But we need a 25-year plan. You can fix every problem that's there for our kids. We can fix every single problem and pass the baton to them and our grandchildren and leave the world better. But we got to get to work on it, and we got to tell the American people the truth. And by the way, I know it'll be right when I can sit down with you, who may have a different political philosophy than me, and I can say, okay, Nick, here's the problem. Don't look at it from left or right. Look at it from right or wrong. What is the right or wrong thing to do for America? Okay, me, gay marriage, 
I'm a Republican, so I'm supposed to be against gay marriage. You're a fiscal Republican. Yeah, exactly. Well, fuck that. I'm for gay marriage. I'm for marriage equality, and I'm for the support of gay advocacy, okay? Because it's not left or right for me. It's right or wrong. We've got to fix the infrastructure. You've got to rebuild the school systems. You have to hold the, um, the, the teachers' unions more accountable. By the way, I'm not picking on unions. I'm just pointing out that there are some people in the unions, if you look at the per capita expenditure, it seems like there's some unevenness to teacher accountability, okay? Teachers' unions are going to listen to this. They're going to kill me. It's fine. But it's way better to fix the public school system than to offer up these charter schools. You're not going to be able to fix the entire United States with charter schools. Not that I'm not a fan of them and I haven't given money to them. I have. They're good laboratories. But the way you're going to fix the school system is by reforming and figuring out a way to make the public school system better. That's right or wrong policy. It's not left or right policy. Midterms are next week. You voting Democrat or Republican? I'm a Republican. I'm going to vote. Really? Repo- All across the board? Dude, it doesn't matter. I'm a New York State resident, okay? You want to talk about it? I mean, I'm a blue man group, okay? I mean, there's nothing I can do in New York State, okay? My vote goes into the ether. Yeah. I got to uh, move my ass down to Florida to actually have a vote that counts. Um, well, the book is called, what's the title again? It's, it's called uh, The Blue Collar President. Trump, The Blue Collar President. Because all of you liberals out there listening to Nick's podcast think he's blue collar. There's, there's it's not just liberals. Know, there's there's like I'm one on. or two conservatives. Dude, that's why I'm on. There's like five different conservatives that have listened to your podcast yeah. in the last 10 yeah. years. Yeah. Uh, Thank you very much, Anthony. And they're all Good saying luck. the same thing. Fix your hair, Nick. <laughs> Fix your hair. God bless. Thanks for having me Thank on. you for coming. Bye. Thanks to my guest this week, The Mooch, Anthony Scaramucci. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work, my editors of Vanity Fair. And thanks, of course, to our sponsor, Groa. G-R-O-H-E dot U-S slash Hive. You can check them out. Please support them the same way you support this podcast. Do not forget under any circumstance whatsoever to vote. It is your duty. It is the most important thing you can do in this country. Vote, vote, vote. I will see you all next week after the midterms. Dun, dun, dun. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th. From PR.